Um, we are continuing the series of James and looking at this idea of the dangers of and then different aspects of um, things in our lives. And today we're looking at James 3. So can you grab your Bibles there at the end of the pews? Um, and if you turn to page 1214, we're looking at James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. I'm just going to pray while you find that. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we thank you for its power and for the ability of it to change us. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, anoint my words now and speak to each one of us. Amen. I wonder how many of you watched the rugby yesterday or were in earshot of somebody watching it. And I don't dare ask what the words were that first came out of your mouth when that final whistle was blown. And I definitely don't want to know if you're South African. (laughs) My guess is that there is not one person in this room, if you like watching sport and if you care about the end score, that is able to watch a whole match in complete silence. My guess is it's scientifically impossible because we have this innate need, don't we, within us to express what's going on in our hearts, to say what we're feeling to express it. And it's a God-given thing, and we're meant to do it. But as with everything in life, it has the possibility to go wrong. And so we are looking at this passage, the taming of the tongue, and what James has to say to us about our speech. So I'm just going to read verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly Just as as an aside, there is nothing more intimidating than starting the passage you're preaching on and reading that verse. So weigh my words, test them. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursings. My brothers and sisters, this should not be Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James at his best. I don't know about you, but this series we've been looking at is incredibly challenging. There is no lightness to it. There's nothing fluffy about it. He cuts to the chase. He gets to the point. And one of the things that I have found really helpful as we've been going through this series is knowing that in the back of my mind that that James's intent with this letter, 
He's speaking to Christians and he's, he's striving for maturity. He wants them to reach maturity in God. And so the question that he's posing throughout this is do you merely profess a faith or do you possess faith? Because if you profess a faith, if you merely claim to have faith but don't act on it, then passages like this aren't really very interesting. But if you possess faith, then no matter how challenging a passage is, you have an appetite for it, you have a hunger for it, because you want to be changed by Christ. You want to be changed so that the faith that you have is more and more reflected in the person that you are. And so hopefully that helps as we look at this challenging passage about our speech. So James, he talks off, he starts off in verses three to five, talking about the disproportionate power of the tongue. Verses three to five, they're up on the screen hopefully. It talks about how the bits in the mouths of horses, they're small but they have the power to turn the whole animal. Or a large ship with strong winds is steered by a tiny, small rudder. Or a fire, a forest fire, is started by a tiny spark. What James is saying is, be aware. The tongue may seem small, the tongue may seem inconsequential, but it wields a power far greater than its size. Um, I was brought up sailing. Um, I'm not a very good sailor, but my dad is passionate about it, so every summer off we would go in our sailing boats. And sometimes he would say, um, do you want to take the helm? And so I'd shuffle to the back of the boat, and I'd take the tiller in my hand, which steers the rudder. And he would say to me, just aim for that point on the horizon. Whatever you do, just keep the boat heading in that direction. So easy. But of course, I was, I was a half-hearted sailor, so I was pretty distracted. And my hand would be on the tiller, but my eyes would quite quickly move off from that point that I'd been asked to point towards. And my hand, without me realising it, would start to move. And what's amazing is just a couple of centimetres and the whole boat started to turn in completely the wrong direction. And suddenly my father would be up, running to the, shoving himself back to the back of the boat and grabbing the tiller from me. A tiny thing and yet so much power. Be careful, he says, a bit like when you get a box of fireworks and it has that warning on it. Be careful because you walk around every single day with an instrument in your mouth that has the power to do great things, but also wreak destruction. He goes straight on, James, in verses five and six, and he talks about this destruction, the damage that the tongue can do. So the end of verse five, it says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. James could have used so many different analogies at this point to talk about the damage that the tongue can do. He could have used something like an axe cutting down the tree. It's a vivid imagery. You can see the damage that's done by the word because the tree falls. And yet he doesn't, because an analogy like that suggests that the damage that our words do is containable that it's an isolated incident and that the damage doesn't spread any further. Instead, he uses the analogy of fire, and particularly of a spreading fire. What he's saying is, the damage that our words can do 
when they are used from an uncontrolled tongue, spreads. You cannot contain the damage. Your words do not create isolated incidents, but they spread rapidly. They can burn up a whole forest from a small spark. When I was about 13, I um, went to a new school. I didn't know a soul there. And in my first term, I was sitting in a history lesson, and the teacher asked a question. And so, naively, I raised my hand to answer the question. Well, clearly it was the wrong answer, because she laughed mockingly and said to me, what a ridiculous answer. I was completely floored. I was new to the school. I didn't know very many people. I'm naturally quite sensitive. It, I was mortified. I felt so silly. I thought she must think I'm so stupid and in front of all these new classmates. Now, for her, those words were inconsequential. It was just a tiny spark. But for me, it was like a fire ripping through me. And for the rest of my school career and beyond, I completely changed how I conducted myself in the classroom. I barely ever spoke, and I would only ever put my hand up if I knew 100% that the answer was right. Those words, had they had a disproportionate effect on me, and they were like fire on my whole body. I wonder if you give much thought to the words that you say over yourself, the words that you speak over your work, or your friendships, or your family, or your identity. Things like... I just can't do this job. I'm not cut out for this job. Or I just know that this person, they can't bear me. I know they don't like me. When you speak those words, we don't realize the power that they have over our whole body. James says that it's like this world of evil that corrupts our whole body, that can steer our whole life. You go into work, and those words that you've spoken over yourself are almost self-fulfilling because now you do a bad job because you've said those words. Or when you're next in the company of that person that you've said hates you, your whole body tenses. Our tongues influence our bodies. What we say, what we utter has power, and it affects our very own body and potentially our lives. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex, I love the royal family. They're, it's one of my favourite things is to watch a documentary on the royal family. Now, I imagine, even if you're not a fan of the royal family, you have probably heard the recent things said about the Duke and Duchess of Sussex and their recent response to what the press have been saying. The journalist, he strikes a match. There's a tiny spark. To him, that's all it is. He writes some words, he sells a newspaper, he gets on with his life. But as Meghan and Harry have said, that's been like a fire ripping through their own lives. Whatever you think of them, it's caused them emotional damage, it's called them damage to their mental health. Something that seems like a small spark to us can cause devastating effects. John Tyson, he's um, a preacher, and he talks about speaking blessings and curses over ourselves and over others. And he talks about how he allowed the Spirit to come and convict him of things that he had said over members of his family, potentially carelessly, a loose word, but that had spoken lies over them. And he talks about doing a tour of repentance as he went round to each one of them, and he said sorry for specific lies 
that intentionally or unintentionally, he had spoken over them. And then he spoke the truth over them. For me, it's that last 10 minutes before we leave the house for the school run. They are awful. No matter how well I plan, they go wrong. It's like I'm going in one direction and I have these three children going in the absolute opposite direction. And I will have said 10 times, please, could you get your jumper on? Or please, could you put your homework in your school bag? I look at them and I'm like, why have you put your trainers on and not your school shoes on? Sometimes, why have you got one school shoe on and one trainer on? And the tension starts to rise and I start feeling really stressed because I don't want them to be late for school and it feels like climbing a mountain. And just as we get to the door and I know I've got seconds to spare and that's it, I turn around and I look at one of the children and he's still... Oh, she hasn't got her jumper on. (laughs) I've given it away. And I say, for the 11th time, would you please go upstairs and get your jumper? And he or she says, I can't be bothered. The fire that comes out of my mouth. I literally, you are so lazy. Four words. Heat of the moment. I know, I mean, they are slightly true, but I know that's not what I think of my child. That's not what I think. I don't really care if you're lazy. That's not really what matters to me. And yet to that child, those are the four words that he has heard spoken before he goes to school that day. And who am I to say that those are not the words that then affect his understanding of who he is? And when he gets to that interview, when he's 18 years old, and they say, what's your work ethic like? He thinks to himself, do you know what, I don't really know because that sort of view of myself was damaged when my mother kept saying, you're so lazy. Our words spread fire. We don't always mean it, sometimes we do. Gossip, lies, a cruel word, a criticism that's spoken negatively, negative over ourselves. And Tim Keller, he talks about how what we do with our thoughts matters. We all have negative thoughts, we all have good thoughts. But when you choose to speak a word out, what you're doing is you're choosing to clothe your thoughts in words. And that's when you strike the match. That's when the power is released over yourself or over others. James hasn't finished yet with this analogy of the fire because he delivers one final blow at the end of verse six. He says, it is the tongue itself set on fire by hell. I mean, those are words you just never want to read. James is saying that our words, when they are spoken from an uncontrolled place, are literally fueled by hell. They are fueled by the devil. They are fueled by the Satan of lies, the father of lies, the father of slander. It's, it's such an uncomfortable verse to sit in that. We don't really want to believe it. And that, yet the evidence suggests it's true, doesn't it? This spreading fire, the damage that gets caused. Of course it's him. He's the father of lies. He loves to spread lies in your own heart, to tell you that you're not worthy through your own speech, to tell your child that they are X through your own speech, to spread lies through gossip about other people. He has a field day when our tongues are not controlled. So that's the bad news 
James has a funny way of delivering good news. If you look in this passage on surface, at surface value, there doesn't seem to be any. But essentially where James lands this passage is by looking at the root of the problem, at looking at our hearts. Because really what our tongues do is they reveal where our hearts are at. They reveal what we actually believe or what parts of our hearts believe. The lies that we believe about ourselves or about others. He says in verses 9 to 12, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And he says, how a fig tree cannot produce olives. A grapevine doesn't bear figs. James is appealing to logic here. He's saying it is not logically possible for, one, for someone to authentically praise the Father and at the same time curse his image, those made in his image. Regardless of whether somebody knows Jesus or not, they are made in the image of Christ. They are made in his likeness. The creator created us to bear his likeness. And therefore, it is not logically possible to praise the Father and yet hate his reflection. You can't do it. And so this double-tonguedness suggests that there's something not quite right in our hearts, that there's something going on in our hearts. We are all works in progress. If you have become a Christian, if you know and love Jesus, parts of your hearts have been transformed by the gospel. But there are always parts in our hearts that haven't yet been transformed, that still believe the lies, that still don't fully know who we are in Christ. Tim Keller, he talks about the sonship challenge. And it's all to do with speech. And you have to try and do these six challenges for a week. And it reveals where your heart's actually at. So they're going to come up on the screen. These are the six things. Do not complain or grumble. Do not boast about anything. Do not gossip or repeat bad information about a person. Do not run someone down even just a little bit. Do not defend or excuse yourself no matter what. Do always affirm other people. So I read this and I thought, okay, well, I'll give it a go. I did very well for the first hour. I was home alone and I didn't speak. In the next 10 minutes of being around people, I had failed miserably. But the great thing is that any of you who try it and do better than me cannot boast about it. But this is what it reveals. Do you complain because you haven't yet realized all that you, are, that you have in Christ? Do you boast because you think you need to show people your worth? Do you gossip to try and make yourself feel better? Do you trash others to lift yourself up? Do you feel the need to defend yourself in the face of criticism because you're insecure in your position in life and at work? Do you struggle to affirm others because you lack in your own self-esteem or you don't want to promote others above yourself? Or... Do you find yourself having learned to be content in all circumstances because of the riches you have in Christ? Do you find that there is no need to boast because actually you are a son or a daughter of Christ? Do you find it painful to hear gossip or speak badly of others because they too 
are made in the image of Christ. Do you feel no need to defend yourself because the verdict is already in? Jesus has done it. Do you find it easy to speak affirmation and blessing over others, even those who hurt you, because you know the forgiveness and love that comes from Jesus Christ? It's quite a challenge, isn't it? We sometimes find ourselves still in the courtroom, thinking that the verdict yet isn't in, and we need to deliver it. We need to defend ourselves. And yet, actually, the verdict is in. Jesus has done it. You are loved no matter what. You are worth something no matter what. So what is in our hearts? So often it's on the bad days. It's when we're tired. It's when we're stressed. It's when we're angry. That it's the parts of our hearts that aren't yet transformed that we speak out of. That that fire from hell speaks out of. So what is the solution? Well, James says in verses 7 to 8 that we cannot do it ourselves. He says no human being can tame the tongue. So we know that in our own strength we are going to fail. And yet, it says earlier in James 1, verses 18 to 90, he chose us through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. He goes on to say, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So in one hand, we know we can't do it in our own strength. And yet in the other hand, there is this verse that tells us that we have been chosen as his first fruits, that we are held up as people where it can look different because through Christ we are changed. And therefore, we will have the ability to be slow to speak, slow to become angry, quick to listen. So we know that God's intention is that we would be different. How do we do it? We change our fuel. Every day when we wake up, essentially you choose which, what's going to fuel your life. Is it going to be the fuel of the gospel, the truth, his spirit? Or is it going to be, to put it harshly, the fuel that comes from hell, the fire from hell? Do we want to live in truth that day, or do we choose to live in lies that day? Acts 2, verses 3 to 4, it speaks of this different type of fire. The spirit that was given at Pentecost that we still have access to today. It says the apostles, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All were filled with the Holy Spirit. There is this other type of fire. There is this spirit that we have access to through knowing Jesus. And it is only through him and through his spirit in us that our hearts can be transformed. And that through his strength, we can learn to speak out of those parts of our hearts that know the truth. To praise him authentically because we speak out of knowing who we are in Christ. That's God's intention for us. Now, I've been reading this passage for the last two weeks, and I can tell you it's a work in progress. There have been moments when I've been on a roll with preparing this talk, and my middle child has screamed at 9 p.m. that she can't find a particular toy, and I have lost it with her. My words have not been good. It's a work in progress. And yet the hope that we have 
is that through him, the more we ask him to change our hearts and to change our speech, what happens is we not only find ourselves with that discipline and ability to potentially speak blessing over people or speak good words over people that we wouldn't find ourselves normally able to, but we also find ourselves much more sensitive to those words that potentially we've never noticed before, that are not good words, that are said flippantly or said in joke forms or said in banter. You become more and more aware as the spirit opens your eyes. And it's through those things happening that slowly, 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 hopefully, your speech is transformed. So I'd love us um, just to use the last five minutes to respond. Um, Would you like to stand? And I'm going to ask the band to come up. I'm aware that there are lots of different aspects um, to speaking about the tongue, and I'd love just to give us a bit of time to respond. I'm just going to pray. Lord, I pray now that as we've heard um, you speak to us, Lord Jesus, on the dangers of being double-tongued. I pray, Father, that you would bring fruit out of what we have heard. And Lord, that even now we would um, find ourselves able to respond to you with the particular thing that you have been speaking to us about.